Welcome to the Mountain Brook Baptist Church podcast. We pray that this message will help you in your walk with Christ. Our current sermon series is The Church Your New Pastor Deserves. The title of Dr. Dorch's sermon today is more by its confidence than its competence. The big idea is our confidence in God's gracious provisions makes us look into the future with anticipation and promise. As I continue my series this morning on the church that your new pastor deserves, I invite you to join with me as we turn together to the Gospel of Luke, the 11th chapter, and consider how the Word of God calls us to be a congregation that is defined more by our confidence than by our competence. Luke, the 11th chapter, beginning with the 11th verse, the Word of God for the people of God. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or, if he asks you for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit, to those who ask him. May God add his blessings to this, the reading of his word. Some years ago, I heard a person remark that there is an exceedingly thin line between a person being confident and a person being conceited, a thin line between confidence and conceit, and I have wondered ever since, how do you measure that line? How do you know that you're in danger of drifting from a place of confidence and assurance and certainty to a place where you are, as my mother used to say, too big for your britches. Well, I don't know that anyone's ever fully defined how you measure that thin line between confidence and conceit. I guess it's just one of those things in life that you know it, When you encounter it, for example, you've been around conceited people and you know that they are not easy people to be around. They're not easy people to be around because everything's about them. How good they are, how important they are, and how successful they are, and there's no room for anyone else in their lives unless They find a way to use those persons to further their own interests. And I've often wondered, as I know you have, as you have been around those people who are talking only about them, are they trying to mask something? Are are they trying to disguise some massive insecurity. Why do they not have room for anyone else beyond themselves? And 
On the other hand, when you encounter a confident person who is not conceited, who is not full of himself, there is this calmness and this security and, and this assurance that, quite frankly, I have always found to be contagious. Whenever I've been around those kinds of persons, I've often asked, myself how can how can I live with that sense of abundance which is a good question how do we make sure that we go through life with a certain confidence without drifting over that thin line into the area of conceit and especially as people of faith who understand from Scripture that we are called to project a winsome witness to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. How do we make sure that the world around us doesn't hear us or see us as being conceited people? The answer lies in locating our confidence, not in ourselves, but instead, the power that Jesus promises through God's gift of the Holy Spirit that God makes available to all who ask of him. That's the truth that we see in this passage of Scripture before us this morning from Luke's Gospel. It's a section of Luke's Gospel where Jesus is teaching his disciples, he's steadfastly set his face toward Jerusalem and the cross, and he knows that his time is limited with the disciples, and so his heart is to pour into their hearts as much of God's truth as he possibly can. And in this section of the gospel, Jesus is teaching them about prayer. The importance of being a prayerful people and being prayerful people consistently. The verses prior to the one that I read for you a moment ago, you, you know the famous acronym, ASK. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be open. It's a good way a good way of remembering how we are called to be a people of prayer, locating our confidence in what God makes available. What we must see is that the prayerfulness about which Jesus is speaking is an ongoing thing. In the Greek, it's a present tense which suggests continuous asking Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, and then you will come to see God at work in your life in ways that you never dreamed possible. So Jesus is encouraging his disciples to develop themselves in that sort of spiritual way and then to bolster their confidence. And to give them the assurance that when they go to God in that spirit, God is always going to come through 
with that which is in their best interest, he tells them a, a, a parable. Now, what father among you, Jesus asks, if his child goes to dad and says, dad, I want to fish, what father would think of giving his child a snake? Now, they, they, they both bear a resemblance. A fish is a slimy thing, but you can eat it. A snake is a slimy thing. Some people eat them. I don't. I dare say you don't either. Especially if it's a poisonous snake. Who, who would think of giving his child something like that? Jesus says it doesn't register. Or if the child asks for an egg, which is round and edible. What, what dad in his right mind would in turn give his child a scorpion, which is also something round but is equally poisonous. And then offering a logic that moves from the lesser to the greater. Jesus says to his disciples, now if you who are evil, not morally so, but more limited and, and finite and imperfect and in some ways broken. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? You see the logic? From the lesser, you know this to be true, how much more will your Father in heaven give you not just good gifts, but in Luke's gospel, because of Luke's emphasis on the Holy Spirit, the power that comes to us to instill within us a confidence from on high, not of ourselves, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him, as limited as we are, as finite as we are, we know how to give to others that which is in their best interest. How much more, Jesus says, does God desire to give us everything that we need and the best gift of all, the Holy Spirit guiding us into a future that is in our best interest? Why is it then, why is it then that so many believers lead such defeated lives? How is it that our lives are too broken, too incomplete? How is it that so many of us are living meaninglessly without any overarching purpose, no sense of transcendence to our everyday experience. Might it be, Jesus is implying, that if our lives are not full and abundant, if we are not flourishing as God created us to flourish, might it be that we're leaning upon our own competence 
our own ability, our own resources, our own ingenuity, our own intelligence, our own sense of connections, might it be that we're leaning on ourselves more than we are the power that God makes possible to us through the gift of the Holy Spirit if only we will ask him. It's bad enough when any individual misses the boat in that respect and goes through each day without the purpose and the significance that God created them to know. It's bad enough when one person is living with no transcendence, but when a group of people live in such a way, particularly those who call themselves people of faith, and yet there's no life in our midst. There's no sense of purpose and significance when people come together trusting in themselves and in their own competencies and end up just sort of going through the motions. What a tragedy it is, especially when that group of people calls themselves a church. It pains me to say it. Pains me to say it. But far too often, there are communities of so-called faith in Jesus Christ who have yet to scratch the surface of what God wills for them first to experience and then to do for his glory because they have invested themselves too much in their own glory. They have crossed the line from God's confidence in the power of the Holy Spirit to a place of conceit. Fortunately, Mountain Brook Baptist Church has never been that kind of congregation. You go back and you look how God has been at work in this church from day one, 1944, even though the congregation was formed because people were coming over the mountain to settle in this community, bringing with them all manner of assets and influence. From day one, this Mountain Brook Baptist Church chose not to locate its confidence in what anyone brought with them to this place. Look at the history of this church. From day one, instead, people who comprised this particular fellowship of faith chose to commit themselves to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, recognizing that as Sharon shared with the children, every good and perfect gift comes to us from the Father up above. And as Jesus has reminded us, these gifts are in our best interest so that, in turn, we might commit ourselves to the best interest 
of others. And as this congregation ponders the possibilities of the future, as affluent as this church is, and it is affluent, and as positioned as this church is in our community, and I'm not just talking about this wonderful physical location that our forebears provided for us, but in terms of the influence that members of this congregation have in this community and beyond, as easy as it would be to say, you know, we have the best and the brightest, not just in Birmingham, but in the Southeast, which we do beyond a shadow of a doubt. While it would be easy for us to say, we're going to be in good shape. The only hope that we have as a community of faith is to recognize as those who comprised this church did on the first day that if we're going to do anything for the cause of Christ, we must lean upon the power that Jesus provides and not on our own power. We must constantly be in step with the leadership of God's Holy Spirit, which God gives us for our good and to do good for others and for the kingdom. Are you willing to go with God? Kurt Vonnegut is a name you, you probably know, popular. American author of the last century. Vonnegut wrote a, a number of books that, that, were, that were repurposed for the big screen. Probably his most famous work that became a movie was his book Slaughterhouse-Five. And in that, in that book, Vonnegut was not, he was not very kind to Christian faith. In, in part because of his own experience with Christians whom he thought leaned upon what he often called a callous providence. A callous providence seems like a contradiction in terms, but to Vonnegut, no, he, he didn't like what he saw from those who called themselves Christians. And so in, in that book, he, he gives voice to a, a fatalism, a stoicism, Nihilism, whatever you want to call it. His own conviction that, much like the writer of Ecclesiastes, there's just no rhyme or reason. Everything seems to be without purpose. And, and every time a death is mentioned in the book Slaughterhouse-Five, Vonnegut writes the phrase, and so it goes. 
And so it goes. And it became for him a tagline that reflected his overarching view of life. And so it goes. And so it goes. You can hear in it, sort of like the teeny bopper, whatever, whatever. And so it goes. There's no hope. There's no purpose. There's no meaning. You're just kidding yourself. This is how life goes. And so it goes. And so it goes. And that is why, toward the end of his life, around the time of his last novel, critics were astounded flabbergasted. I can't think of another expression to convey how shocked reviewers were when they learned that Vonnegut, toward the end of his life, had begun signing off his books, not with, and so it goes, but instead, go with God. Go with God. Did Vonnegut experience some sort of spiritual rebirth? You tell me. All I know is there is a massive difference between, so it goes, and go with God. They're not even in the same ballpark. One is detached. The other's invested. One is anxious. The other is certain. One is hopeless. The other is committed to possibilities that few people will ever see. And if you don't know the difference between and so it goes and go with God, then you have yet to commit your life the power that God makes possible through his presence in his Holy Spirit and you are still seeking to live your life in your own competency instead of the confidence, the bold confidence to which God invites you to experience through trusting your way to him. Yeah, for individuals and for churches, even a great church like this church, there is a very thin line between confidence and conceit. And it is so easy to drift from one to the other, from a place of certainty to a place of arrogance.
And the only way not to drift is by trusting our way to God. Following the leadership of his Holy Spirit, his presence in our midst. For when we do that, God has promised to do what is in our best interest and what is in his best interest. So that we may know in this life immeasurable joy and in the life that is to come, everlasting peace. I don't mean to sound conceited, but there's no doubt about that. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we are so grateful for what we see you doing in our midst. We know that you have called us to be your people in this place and from this place to move out with the message of the kingdom, the message of love and mercy and grace, the message that changes lives for the better, makes this world more the world that you created it to be. Do that work in us that we need you to do, O oh God. That we might be bold enough, but humble enough to represent the difference that Jesus makes. So we pray in his name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We pray that today's message brought you hope as we continue to love God and live with grace and generosity. Be sure to check back here for more podcasts. And as always, go out and do the Lord's good work.